that's really the big part of, of what English provides is that sort of understanding and that shared conversation that you can have um, that, that is pretty amazing. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 18 of season one of Audio Stew. I'm your host, Kurt Bailey, and today's guest is Megan Hartman. She's the chair of the English department at the University of Nebraska, Kearney. Um, and in case you're wondering, yes, we did talk about English in today's episode. And also dragons, but more on that later. Dr. Hartman is just a fun-loving person, and she's very passionate about English. It was just a, a wonderful conversation to have like outside of a classroom setting. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Also, you should know that I was recording with my Mac microphone for about the first 10 minutes. It will change to the Yeti microphone later in the episode. Now enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Audio Stew. Um, we have a very special guest today uh, with us. Um, would you go ahead and introduce yourself? What is your name, other person? Hi, uh, my name is Megan Hartman. All right. Megan, or I suppose I don't know. What I... You can call me Megan. Okay, yes. Megan's fine. Okay. <laughs> Normally I have to call her Dr. Hartman, but okay. Cool. I'm in the inner circle right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, so would you tell us uh, just a little bit more about yourself? Um, like where you're from, uh, a little bit about your family, any hobbies? Probably there's one hobby that I think, uh, probably multiple hobbies, honestly, that you can talk about. But just go for it, whatever yeah. you feel like. Uh, well, I grew up in New Hampshire. Um, okay. and so lived there for, I wasn't born there, but moved there when I was three. So, you know, that's <laughs> what I remember. Um, went to college there and I've got, um, a brother and a sister who I grew up with and they have a couple kids, love my nieces. I've got three of them. They're amazing. Um, and moved out here to Nebraska in order to teach. I'm a professor of English. Um, but a couple other hobbies I have. I play the piano, which is... Really? Yeah, I, didn't know that. I do. Um, I don't play as much as I want to these days because I'm mm -hmm. way too busy, but I try to make time, especially around the holidays, to play mm -hmm. some Christmas carols oh, yeah. and that kind of stuff. Um, but probably my most fun hobby is that I'm also a martial artist. Um, I started training in karate when I was nine years old, um, and I got a black belt in that and a jiu-jitsu style that I studied at the same dojo when I was a kid. I also did some weapons. I particularly like the sword. Um, had to do a different style of karate once I went to uh, school, because the one I started out with, they didn't offer. So I have a black belt in that too. Oh, okay. And then when I moved here to Kearney, I started studying ninjutsu. And I just earned my black belt in that a little less than a year ago. Dang. Wow, okay, so... Make sure you get all the answers right and study <laughs> hard. <laughs> or, yeah, right. There may be consequences. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, I know, because you, you say, I was really curious about that, because a lot of times in class you'll talk about your dojo, and I'll be like, what? <laughs> like, she, like, secretly a ninja by night or something? And... Yep, secret ninja. Man, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah. See, okay, I forgot about this. So just for for your own sake, so you know, most people I interviewed just like on average are like my family members or like 
close friends and then Mm -hmm. I try and mix it in with like some more acquaintances and stuff but a lot of times that's like harder to coordinate Mm -hmm. than just being like hey like want to come over and record with me you know um but the one thing I love about when I talk to people I don't know like as well or like only know in like more professional settings and stuff is I really don't know a lot about them and so like I talked to the Thomas Martin last year Mm -hmm. and I like that man he's got so many things to talk Mm -hmm. about like I just kind of sat there and listened because I'm like wow I didn't know any of this um so that's cool I I didn't remember that uh I don't remember if you ever said it but that you're from like New Hampshire and stuff like Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. that's pretty neat um yeah about your dojo Mm -hmm. okay this is just I'd have no context for this. I have a couple buddies who are like black belts in Taekwondo, I think maybe. Okay. I don't remember. Yep. That's popular one. Yeah. What? I mean, what does going to the dojo even <laughs> look like? I don't even know. Yeah. Um, well, most people will put on Okinawan pajamas. Okay. Um, which is, that's the gi. That's, that's the like the big form. white. Okay. Yep. I got you. Um, and actually, at my school, we have some of them are white and some of them are black. And that Ooh. was like one of the big changes I had to make when I started wearing a black gi instead of a white gi. Because I wore a white gi as like traditional thing yeah. for all these years. And then like, I, oh, I got to wear the black gi now. I'm like, oh, <laughs> that feels so weird. Um, but my parents say I look cool in it. So, okay. You know. Well, there you go. Um, and so training, I mean, it's going to be a little bit different depending on what style you study. Um, but for the most part... Um, you sort of, you, you learn different techniques, um, you know, kicking, punching, um, joint locks, throws, those sorts of things. Um, practice some of them sometimes on a pad so you can get used to trying mm-hmm. to get good power. Make sure you're doing it correctly because, you know, if you're punching something and your wrist is a little bit bent, you'll fold your wrist. Ooh, and, I'm... Um, yeah, bad. Ouch. So you got to practice punching against the pad so you get used to doing it correctly. Yeah. Um, and... But then it's a lot of sort of partner training. And so you learn how to fall correctly, how to roll correctly, so that, you know, when you're doing it against your partner, you're not hitting them hard, obviously, because that would not be fun. Um, But, you know, you're practicing um, the technique where you would hit, but then stopping. Before Um, you actually, okay. And then maybe doing a joint lock, and then the person taps, tapping out as you just sort of tap twice, and that's saying, okay, you got it, you're doing it correctly, stop now. (laughs) Um, Or throwing them, and since we know how to fall correctly, then it's all perfectly safe. But, um, you know, you you practice those techniques where one person's designated the attacker, and the other person's designated the defender, and so you learn how to do them. Mm -hmm. Um, And then... Uh, as you progress, you start doing them in a little bit more uncontrolled settings. Um, some places like to do um, sort of sport fighting, mm-hmm. um, which can be kind of cool because it's like both of you are trying to go at once, so it kind of emulates um, to an extent a little bit more a real fight. Um, on the other hand, a lot of sport fighting is you, you designate points. Mm-hmm. Um, you get a point for you know getting in close enough and... Um, having good technique as you do it and and sometimes it can get a little artificial that way oh okay um uh, the dojo i met now will do often what's called a rondori um where there's one person who is designated the defender and then there are several attackers and so you don't know it's usually one person will attack at a time um 
it's just like, okay, when they're ready to attack, they'll usually give some sort of like, hey, and then <laughs> go do something. But you don't know what they're going to do. And so you have to kind of figure out and then try to do a good technique um, and, and get them usually on the ground. So okay. that sort of indicated the, okay, I've, I've controlled the situation. Hmm. Um, and then you can, can move on from there. Oh, okay. Is it a lot... I imagine you switch from like attacking and defending like pretty mm -hmm. like on the fly and stuff. Is there one that's like, like that you find is harder than the other, or like is it just kind of all the same? Um, like just in terms of being the attacker versus being yeah. the defender. Um, I I guess it's I tend to prefer being the defender. It's sometimes hard if you're just like standing there and there's two people and you want to try to attack and to mm -hmm. be have a, a good attack that's going to be effective that's really challenging hmm. um and and ultimately you know the the point of a lot of these martial artists is not to be that person not to be the one who mm -hmm. goes in and attacks which is not to say you know if someone has menaced you in some way then yeah. that might end up where yeah. you you go to but um one of my early teachers would say usually the person who wins the fight, or the person who loses the fight is the one who messes up first. And the yeah. easiest way to mess up is to attack. Yeah. Because when you attack, you're opening yourself up. And if you don't have, you know, really good timing, finding that opening, getting them off balance somehow as you're doing the attack, um, then they're going to be able to take advantage of that. So I much yeah. prefer being the defender who can as you defend, you can sort of disrupt their technique in some way, which will then create that opening hmm. that you can use to, you know, whatever you need to do, get them on the ground, walk okay. them out kind of thing. Huh. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense to me. I haven't seen, like, a lot of, like, fighting type stuff, but usually when I think of it, it it's a lot of just react reactions are kind of, like, what's more important than, mm -hmm. like, it's finding when someone else screws up i mean that's the same way like even with like uh like soccer or things like that like yeah. it's you don't try and kick the ball in front of the guy you wait for him to like be really slow and then you mm -hmm. see your opening and then you go and stuff like that but... yeah definitely okay and when you get really good like my instructor that i have now what i find most impressive about him is not i, I mean he's like his technique is really good and mm -hmm. you know whatever he does i, I um, is, is very smooth and, and amazing, but what's, I think makes him particularly effective as a martial artist is ability to read the other person, um, and to sort of find, get that good timing, like, he mm -hmm. knows right when you're about to attack, um, and so then he can react even, you know, before you've really started to mm -hmm. do your attack, it's just like you're, you're about to move and he's reacting. Huh. Um, and so once you can kind of read someone so that you can establish that, that timing really well, which as you say, I think is the same as something in soccer. Do you see someone leaning a little bit one way yeah, so that you can yeah, slip around yeah. him in the other way? Um, it, it is a lot of the same stuff. Hmm. Apologies, audience. I once again uh, <clears throat> had the microphone setting wrong, but that's okay. Um, we were talking about dojo and fighting and different techniques and such. I'm very curious. What does, like, sword 
fighting look like? Because <laughs> I look around your room and you have posters of Narnia and Game of Thrones and somewhere there's Lord of the Rings, I thought. Maybe not. Uh, there's Middle Earth is oh, right, right there. Okay. And that is... Uh, I really like that one. That one's cool. Yeah, I like that one too. That's, that's the map that um, Thorin used to find the Lonely Mountain and, and oh, win okay. his treasure back yeah. in The Hobbit. Yeah. Anyway, so yes. I'm assuming you're a fan of swords I based am. off of everything I've seen around here. Mm-hmm. So what does that look like? Um, well, it depends a little bit on sort of the type of sword that you're using. So um, the majority of training I have done is in what's called Eido. So okay. this is all, I mean, we talk about sort of the, the Narnia and, and Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones and all of that, but mm-hmm. that's all Western fighting. So that's yeah, yeah, it's all style. Double edged like... sword. Well, it's also, just it's a different style of fighting okay. because okay. the the sword is different. It's double edged and it's a oh, straight sword. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas I use a katana, a Japanese style sword, yeah. which is single edged okay. and slightly curved. Um, so that you fight a little bit differently mm-hmm. um, than you would with Western style fighting. Um, but I, I like a lot of like fantasy and stuff. They sort of start inserting the katanas in there. Have you, have you seen Highlander? No. Oh, Highlander's so much fun. You gotta watch Was Highlander. Is that a TV show or something? Um, it, uh, originally a movie, and then okay. there, there are lots of sequels that get oh, okay. progressively <laughs> crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then they also made a TV show that, that was very good. Okay. And so you've got all of the, the, the Highlander characters, or a Scottish character, and then the, the television show has a different one. Mm-hmm. Um, but they end up um, fighting with katanas because they decide that those are the, the best swords. So you've got oh, these yeah. random right. white guys with, well, Duncan MacLeod in the show has an actual Scottish accent. The, the actor in the movie is um, Christopher Lambert, who just has his wacky accent. I, don't, I have no idea what his accent <laughs> is. So he's supposed to be a Scotsman, but he's got his wacky accent, and he's fighting with a katana. And It's yeah, just all over the place. It is all over the place. Okay. Um, anyway, so... Uh, the Iaido that I have studied that that's literally a, a quick draw, um, and so the idea is you you have your sword always started sheathed, mm-hmm. um, and then you practice um, imagining a particular attack, and because the blade is curved, mm-hmm. um, the draw can be very quick. Um, you know, you can draw it out with that little bit of a curve and, oh, and okay, straight yeah. into a, a cut or straight into mm-hmm. a block. Um, and so you practice um, these very short techniques. Um, you know, maybe it's a, a draw with a block and then a cut or a draw with a block and then a cut. But then, you know, imagining that it didn't work out. So another block and another cut. And But it's all very short. Hmm. Um, and... So it's essentially what would happen if you are um, in a situation where, where you're not actually on the battlefield, but, but you're um, in some place with a, a sheathed sword hmm. and, and trying to uh, defend yourself. Um, what I'm studying right now in terms of sword is a little bit more of a replication of what the battlefield would be like. Hmm. Um, and so... With the Iaido, since it's uh, a style that is um, has become very formalized in Japanese culture, we do mostly um, kata that are just a single person. So you practice by yourself, imagining 
um, what the other person would be doing, and you're really working on trying to perfect the very small details hmm. um, so that when you draw your sword, you have to um, push it out of the scabbard first, and you need to bring it um, an inch or so closer to your hand so that your sword is a better draw. And then as you draw to actually pull, you pull the scabbard back to get it hmm. out of the way. So it's all of those little details that you're trying to make sure you perfect in almost sort of a meditative way. Hmm. Um, what I'm training right now is a little bit more focused on the practical. So imagining, okay, you're on the battlefield, you have your sword out, if someone attacks you a certain way, what can you do? How can you react? Hmm. Um, so we usually use wooden swords for this one, because um, the metal ones, not only would they be a little scarier, but they also bang them up a little bit more when you smash what metal swords oh, into each other. Yeah. Um, so you got your wooden swords out, and um, you'll sort of think of uh, be starting in a defensive posture, someone will attack, um, and then with the defense thinking about how can you um, counter that mm -hmm. that particular attack. And again, it can be something simple. Um, this last Wednesday we were doing one where you're starting with your sword down, and then um, as the attack comes in, you're pretty much just bringing your sword up right in the person's throat. Oh. So like all you're doing is boop. <laughs> um, but it's really effective, because um, it's like, ah, all of a sudden you have a sword in your throat. Um, <laughs> Um, I hope that ever. <laughs> I don't think that's a sentence I would ever want to hear. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Uh, but then, you know, we'll practice, okay, but then what happens if they block? And yeah. then, you know, here's the sort of thing you can do from there. And then, so, yeah, that's sort of the way the sword practice works. Okay. That's super cool. I'm, I'm sure that's really fun because then you probably get a little into, like, all the, like, history of stuff and just... Yes. Yeah. That's, mm -hmm. That sounds neat. I don't know if that's something, like... It's one of those things where, like, I'm like, I don't think I would ever take the time to do all that. Mm. But, like, I would go I would go watch it once <laughs> or, like, you know, learn how to do, like, a punch or something like yeah, that. Yeah. You know, like, I could probably, I know enough people who do this stuff that I'm like, that, you, you want to teach me how to, you know, just, <laughs> like, if I was in a back alley somewhere, how, mm -hmm. how would I, uh get out of the back alley alive you it know? is a nice thing to just yeah. have even a little bit of a background of yeah plus it's just intimidating you know be mm -hmm. like i'm a, I'm a black belt. <laughs> like, oh okay don't don't mess with that person mm -hmm. you know and i think a lot of that is probably just people have like this i don't know this image in their head of like karate and stuff and like movies and then they're like oh like can you like jump off the roof or something? <laughs> yes. And, like... Everyone likes. Oh, can you do those jump kicks? Why would I do a jump kick? I could kick you in the knee much faster than I could jump up and kick you in the head, and it'll be way more effective. <laughs> they will be like, true, but it wouldn't look as. That, cool. that is true. I would not look nearly as cool doing that. Uh, <laughs> we could. We could just. Since this is audio only, we can just say like, "Oh my, my goodness, Doctor Harmon, she just, <laughs> she just knocked over the the wall. She just kicked a hole in it. It's, yeah, that all really just happened. Wow, that's so cool. <laughs> okay. Um, so, as much as you enjoy this other aspect of mm -hmm. your life, the the main thing I want to talk about today was English, because I think, as 
I don't know what you would say, but probably as fun and entertaining as that part is, um, English is probably a little more integral to your your day-to-day life. And it stuff. is. Ultimately, I chose not to be a martial arts instructor, but mm. an English professor. There you so, go. So that yeah. is what is central. Okay. So, I mean, let's, let's just talk about English then. Um, you, you're a professor. Mm-hmm. Um, how did that all start? Like, <laughs> did you, were you, when you're three years old or however, living in New Hampshire, were you just writing books all day or something like that? Or? Uh, a, a little bit. Okay. Um, well, really when I was five is when this started, and mm-hmm. I saw this really cool book that um, my dad had. It had this picture of, it was sort of a dark cover, um, and there was this green woman, like, you know, totally green, wearing this green dress and green huh. hair, and she was holding a bridle of this black unicorn, and there was, like, a storm behind her, and I was like, oh, this looks so cool. <laughs> So I was like, Dad, what, tell me this story. I, I want to know what's going on here. And, and he was like, well, how about I just read it to you? I was like, yes, that is awesome. <laughs> um, and so little five-year-old me started reading fantasy novels. Well, at the time being read fantasy novels, mm-hmm. um, which immediately meant I knew my calling. I, mm-hmm. I knew what job I wanted to have really? when I grew up. I okay. wanted to be a dragon fighter. Oh, that's such a good idea. <laughs> Isn't it, though? Yeah, and then you went and studied martial arts. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. to be a dragon. Wow, that's... What are you doing here? <laughs> I, I don't know. I should return to my true calling. Um, so eventually I did decide maybe there wasn't as much work for dragon fighters these days. Yeah, um, it's probably fair. And, and it seems a little mean, too, now in retrospect. Like, why would you want to fight the dragons? Let's yeah. befriend the dragons. Ride around on the dragons. Yeah. That'd be way cooler. Oh, yeah. Um, I think they made a movie about that. Uh, yeah, yeah, possibly even a couple. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, so then I went with author. And I was writing lots of stories um, and did my, my senior project in high school was I wrote a book. Um, it was really bad, <laughs> but I mean, it, it, it had its good elements. For, yeah. for a 17-year-old, I, yeah. I think it was pretty good. Um, looking back and reading at it, I do giggle. Okay. Um, so then I got into college and I was sort of working on that, but you know, I also just really loved reading the books and talking mm-hmm. about the books and um so that kind of took over as um what I really wanted to focus on and so I decided to, to go to grad school and try to be a professor and and of course you know studying I, I kept the interest in the dragons mm-hmm. um and so it was mostly studying medieval literature and I discovered in college that I was pretty good at languages well I knew that already because I I was pretty successful um, when I studied French in, hmm. um, as a as a kid, but of course, being naive and having no idea what what was what, I was like, oh, French is not really that important. I don't need to study languages. How is that going to benefit me when I'm mm-hmm. a grown up? Um, and so yeah, I kind of dropped off my language study in in high school. When I got back into it in college, I, I studied Japanese and Latin, and and then I started Old English, and I was like, this is so cool. Um, <laughs> And so, yeah, then I had to go to college so I could learn all sorts of other dead languages. We learned Old Norse, we learned Old Saxon and Gothic. And um, and then I could start reading all of these awesome stories like Beowulf and the Volsunga Saga and all in the original languages. And 
yeah, so, you know, gotta love all of that. And and then that that's what led me to be here. Mm-hmm. That's super cool. And I'm I'm sorry to hear about the, the dragon fighting. Yeah, thing, it is a pity I think that you that are, didn't work out. I think you are right though that it, if there ever is the dragon, maybe maybe just befriending it is okay. probably even cooler. So, you know, that that's good advice. I yeah, will yeah. definitely take yeah. that. If Which I, I think you already knew that, but I was just reaffirming. <laughs> okay. You know, um, <clears throat> that's yeah, that's super cool. Uh, that's it's really fun. Um, how did you get to like? Okay, you you studied... What did you actually study for your undergraduate? Was that also... English. That was just yep. English. Okay. Yep. And then your... I don't even know how... Master's or whatever. Uh, master's and PhD, I, I did them both together. So okay. I have both degrees, but it was all just one big, oh, long okay, okay. program of study. And that's also just English, or is that like a specific... Um, the degree is in English. At, at my program, you could um, sort of add some stuff to it. So I have a degree area certificate... Okay. which means that I took a whole bunch of classes in a certain area mm-hmm. in medieval studies. Okay. Um, and I also have a minor, um, and my minor is in English and Germanic philology, Okay. Um, which is sort of studying those old languages. So it's a the degree is actually in English, but then I have those two extra credentials added to it. Okay. And was that, where did you study for all that? Indiana University. Okay. Gotcha. For both undergrad and grad. Okay. There, or no, uh, for my master's and my PhD. So my undergrad I studied at the University of New Hampshire. Oh, okay, okay. Gotcha. So then <clears throat> you got all your degree and everything. You have so much knowledge that you're just eager to share mm-hmm. and stuff. How do you actually get, like, here, like, to, to UNK and Kearney, Nebraska? Um, well, you know, jobs are pretty competitive with um, the in the academic job market. Yeah. So. I applied to pretty much every job I was qualified for in Mm. all of North America, um, which was about 50. Okay. And I got nothing. Dang. Yeah, that was a rough year. So (laughs) then I, I sort of, I was finishing up my dissertation at the time, so I took a little longer to finish my dissertation Mm. so that I could stay one more year at Indiana and continue to be a graduate instructor. Mm. Um, They called us AIs there, which I, uh, associate instructors, but, you know. Not not a computer. (laughs) No. It cracked me up, though, that the abbreviation was the same. Yeah. Um, So then the next year I did the same thing, applied to all of the new jobs that I was qualified for in all of North America and a little bit of Europe. Dang, you're up too. Yeah, I mean, a little bit. You were doing medieval stuff. Yeah. So I guess that kind of makes sense. Um, and that time I got two jobs. Okay. So way better yeah. than the first year. Um, one was in Alaska, which looked super cool. Oh, okay. Um, but it was a temporary job. It would have been a year-long position. Okay. And then I was offered a um, permanent position here, and it was... Um, to be the language specialist, so someone who could teach all the courses related to the English language, okay. um, which because I study um, specifically the development of language, mm-hmm. um, and I mean, most of my own research looks at the, the grammar and the syntax and, and the meter and the structure of language in medieval languages, but um, knowing that helps me to understand it, you know, throughout the history of the language. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Uh, a focus on that area as well as um, medieval studies so you know it was a pretty perfect job in terms of those are the things (laughs) that um, I specialize in and which I mean 
with academic jobs, that's sort of the way of it, that, that there'll be a specific yeah. job of, we want to hire someone in this area. Um, and then sometimes it will be this area with a secondary specialty in this other area. And sometimes you kind of got to fudge that secondary yeah, specialty. Yeah, yeah. But in my case, you it know, it was I, actually what you wanted. It, it was. Yeah, it was a little bit flip flop. Like I would say, I'm a have a specialty in medieval studies with a secondary area in language. Oh, okay, okay. And in this case, the yeah. primary that they wanted was language. But even so, yeah, you know, it was my two things that I could do. So it seemed like the the place to go. Okay, that's super cool. And how long have you been here then? This is my 11th year here. Wow. Okay. I didn't know that. Have you taught, like, pretty much the same courses the whole time, or it's been um, a little different? It, well, I, I pretty much teach grammar every semester. This is the first semester of my career here that I've not taught grammar, and oh, it's, okay. like, weirding me out a little bit. <laughs> um, and then uh, for a long time, it would be a history of the English language in the fall, introduction to linguistics in the spring and then I'd have sort of an additional class and and that is varied a little bit more um, so sometimes the medieval studies class would come up and I would teach that whenever I got a chance that course is awesome hmm. um, and then I made up a course in Old Norse mythology um, and so I was teaching that every fall for a while um, that was a freshman course and so we would sort of get together and geek out about like adaptations of old Norse mythology hmm. in, in modern day, which is so much fun. Um, it was the best when Thor Ragnarok came out, and so oh. I got to like put on my syllabus, go to the movie theater, and watch <laughs> Thor Ragnarok. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, uh, things are starting to vary up a little bit for me at the moment, because we've got a growing graduate program, okay. um, which is super exciting. So um, uh, this last year, I've gotten to teach graduate courses for the first time. Um, which is, the, our program is online, and I think there's a lot of really valuable stuff to teaching online. I'm not very good at it yet, <laughs> so there's definitely a big learning curve there, but I'm really enjoying working with the graduate students and getting to do some different stuff. Yeah, <clears throat> that's really cool. Uh, did you, so, um, oh shoot, this happens to me too sometimes, <laughs> we like in the zone, we like, here's my question, and this is I talk about, like, ah, I don't remember what it was. <laughs> but I think that happens to a lot of people. I so would say it, so. It's probably fine. Um, you're also the, the chair of the English department. Yes. Now, okay. Mm -hmm. When did, how did that come about then? Um, just, it was sort of time to make a change in the English department. We had had the same chair for a long time. Hmm. Um, and so he was ready to step down and, um, you know, th there were some, uh, just as any department has, there's sort of a lot of different groups of people and I felt like, yeah, I can, can work with these different groups hmm. and, and try to um, move us forward to do some new things in the department. So I, I thought it'd be exciting to step up and, and do that as a new part of my job. That was about two years ago now. Okay. Um, so it's weird because, like, when I think about it, I'm like, yeah, I've been doing this for two years, so I guess I'm sort of experienced at this point. Mm -hmm. But COVID hit two months, three months after yeah. I became chair. So I feel like the whole time I've been chair has just been one new thing after yeah. the other, yeah. like, reeling to try to figure out how are we going to get through this. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it, it's it's weird. Hmm. Yeah, does it... I mean, it, 
do you have a lot more like responsibilities than, than just being like a professor and definitely stuff, okay. yeah um with when you're a professor you have to teach your classes mm-hmm. um and at this university you teach either three or four classes um and i usually have taught three per semester mm-hmm. um and then you have to do research um so you publish articles and, and in english you usually publish books you go to conferences um that kind of thing and and then you do service for campus you know serve on committees help mm-hmm. um make sure stuff gets done that needs to get done um so when you're a department chair um you get a reduced teaching load so i only teach two classes now um but there are a lot of that sort of service responsibility kind of making sure things get done making the schedule for the department um, making course and program changes that you need to do um and then we're also making some big changes at the university right now. We've just sort of revamped our general studies program. Yeah. So I've been sort of trying to help out with um, making that work for the English department. Um, so yeah, I've, um, I have my one fewer class, but I also do a lot less research um, mm-hmm. at the moment, which kind of bums me out because I, I really miss doing the research. Um, and, and actually, I, I really teaching is my favorite. So I'm, huh. you know, it's sort of a reward that you get <laughs> one fewer class. But I'm like, I, I would take the class. Yeah. <laughs> but not I can't because I, I just have too much to do. Yeah. yeah. Um. So uh, yeah, it, it's it ends up being a lot of work. Um, and I don't know, like, you know, I, I could run for a second term, and I'm sort of part of me is going like, yeah, I, I really like feeling like I'm making good change for the English department, and mm-hmm. part of me feels like I just want to get back to focusing on my teaching. Hmm. And so it's just sort of a different kind of job. Yeah. I mean, it's it's always nice just to, to try something different and mm. just to, mm-hmm. you know, see. Because you, you don't know until you actually step into mm. the role and stuff. And so, yep. Yeah. I gotcha. Um, what about the actual, like, subject matter? Okay, so we have your, we have your, just a little background on you we've got like uh mm-hmm. your occupation and understanding of that what about like just just english like why does studying english matter yeah. um i mean and maybe even more broadly like the um because english is just like <clears throat> one language among many so maybe mm-hmm. just even just communication like why does mm-hmm. that matter mm-hmm. i mean obviously it we can have a conversation right <laughs> yes, now because we know how to help. communicate. But yeah. I'll let you just kind of <laughs> run with that wherever you feel like. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, when you think about studying English or or any kind of language when it's in your, your native language that you're, mm-hmm. you're studying, um, there's kind of three branches of that study. Okay. Um, so you've got the writing aspect of it, um, learning composition and, and other... Um, aspects of writing, how to be a good writer, how to put an argument together in an effective way, all, all of those sorts of things. Um, and then you've got the um, linguistic aspect of it. How is the language structured? Um, how do we uh, use it in interesting ways to communicate with each other? Um, those sorts of questions. Um, and then the literature aspect of it. What's the writing in this language like? Mm-hmm. What does the, the writing sort of tell you? And um, I think 
you know, all three of those are going to be really important in a lot of different ways. Writing, um, in, in some ways, is, I would say, maybe not the most important, but the most universal. Okay. Like, I think everybody who gets a college degree should take multiple courses in writing. Hmm. It's just, it's something that you need to know. You're going to use it in any job. Hmm. You've got to make those emails that are professional. You've got to write memos or reports or explanations of what you're doing. Whatever it is, you have to write it down. You have to communicate that way. Um, and I think the the more um, the more you get into aspects of sort of higher up in the the pay scale as it were Mm -hmm. um the the more that writing is going to be something that you're using Hmm. um to be able to explain those ideas um and and it's just as true in english you know i part of my job i had to write a book um Hmm. so even sort of separate from like the the fact that it is part of my discipline Mm -hmm. just learning that skill is, is a hugely important skill. Um, the other two parts of the study, I, I think, are you know maybe a little bit more specific to people who want to study English more, more fully. Um, but yeah, I think you're right that they are hugely valuable in terms of what's important. So you mentioned particularly um, you know, studying the language. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is so fascinating, I think, and, and that's one thing that I've really loved because I study the medieval aspect of it. Um, and I hadn't done a lot of work with modern English. And so, you know, my first couple years teaching, I was learning a lot hmm. in order to be able to, to teach more about modern English. But the more I learned about it, the more I was just like, dude, this is amazing. Some of the stuff <laughs> that people have done. Um, you look at, um, like, sort of the discourse analysis and thinking about how we talk. And I had never realized how much um, you can have direct or indirect speech. And mm. um, direct speech is when you actually say what you mean. Yeah. And indirect speech, it would be when you say something that can communicate what you mean effectively, but without necessarily saying it directly. Mm. Um, and you sort of think about that and it's like, oh yeah, we probably use a little bit of indirect speech. Yeah, no. We use so much direct or indirect speech. Huh. Um, and sometimes you don't even notice it. Like there's an exercise in the linguistic textbook that I use, and it says, you know, mark this as direct speech or indirect speech. And people sort of mark it as, yeah, direct, 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 direct. And I'm like, no, go back. Go back and look. You know, something like, um, you know, even just, uh, can I, would, would it be okay if you... Um, stayed a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not actually asking someone to stay a little bit longer. That's asking them if it would be okay. Oh, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And not actually going ahead and telling them or asking them to do it. Yeah. Um, and so you have things like, you know, hey, I'm, uh, I'm really thirsty. Are you getting up? You know, mm-hmm. that you can tell. That's indirect speech, oh, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, we all can clearly understand that you're asking the person to get you a yeah. water or a soda or whatever. Yeah. But... Um, without actually saying it. Um, but um, even when you just say, can you get me a glass of water? Yes. Yes, I can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Versus, <laughs> you know, like the whole can versus man yeah. and stuff like that. And like, yeah, I got you. So, so a lot of what we do is indirect and a lot of what we do is metaphorical. 
Hmm. And that's another thing that, that I was learning, just the ways that we have some of these metaphors that pervade our language. Like when you think about if someone has a disease, we talk about it using the metaphor of battle all the time, mm-hmm. that we're, we're battling a disease, we're fighting cancer, we um, you know, are struggling against the yeah. whatever. Um, and sometimes I try to point this out to someone in, in a way that's like not directly giving the answer, but letting them sort of realize it. And it's almost hard because I, do, I want to ask them about the question without using the metaphor hmm. so that they can think about it and realize, oh, here's that metaphor. But what do you say when you're fighting a disease? Oh, no, that's still using it. Um, when, when you're like, what do you say to hmm. talk about fighting a disease that yeah. doesn't use some sort of fight term? Yeah. Huh. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. Um, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. It's just ingrained, yeah. Um, so it's really interesting, I think, to be able to study how um, the language works so that you can get that kind of clearer understanding of what exactly we do when and how we're constructing language hmm. and and also how that differs from other um other societies because a lot of that indirect language is very much based on politeness mm-hmm. the, we are using politeness strategies and the more indirect you are the more polite it seems mm-hmm. and and therefore as you become more direct it it can start to come across as rude hmm. um, but other cultures don't do that as much and so if you have a culture that does not have that sort of indirect strategy as a politeness um, strategy, then you talk to that person and you're just like, whoa, and it's really off-putting, yeah, right? Like, yeah. they are so rude. Why do they have to be so mm-hmm. pushy? Um, well, no, they're not being pushy. They're just using the norms of their culture and, and, and their discourse strategies um, and, and aren't used to our um, preference for these indirect modes of speech. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that just well, that's something that I think I see in just um, uh, uh, I mean, you talked about it in the context of just like conversation and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. I see that a lot in writing is mm. people who are just I mean, I've done it myself too. But like adding things like uh, like I think this mm-hmm. is how it is, mm-hmm. or like. Um, it's kind of there's some saying about it where like uh, uh, I don't know the exact saying, but it's like you're you're so non-firm on your opinion that mm-hmm. you're saying you're not saying yes or no. Mm. So it's it's not even helpful at that point. It's just it yeah. just exists. Like, mm-hmm. and I think some of that is connected to politeness, and mm-hmm. there's some legitimate reasons like to be polite like that's ingrained in our Mm -hmm. culture and stuff and i think if anything sometimes we can we need to be a little more direct Mm -hmm. and just Mm -hmm. be like man just just cut the crap say what you mean like you know like yeah i i definitely agree that um you know the politeness can sometimes subsume the message yeah yeah. and and that's another good thing to learn with language Mm -hmm. studies you know how do you um kind of achieve that balance of using the politeness but 
also being willing mm-hmm. and able to to be assertive mm-hmm. um, and to call people out because sometimes that sort of euphemistic language is not doing it solely to I mean you can be polite and also uncertain mm-hmm. and that's where you can get some of that euphemistic language but but sometimes it's also hedging you know yeah. oh, I don't, I'm not going to um, commit one way or the other yeah. or I'm going to present this in a way that looks like this but really says this yeah, yeah. yeah and, and being able to recognize that and call that out I think is also super important yeah yeah <clears throat> that's like when uh, like people uh, it's the phrase like uh, <clears throat> I don't mean to be offensive but because <laughs> it's 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 always like okay I'm going to qualify this with like me yeah. being polite but also Here's something really offensive. Yes. Like, and it's just, that kind of stuff just happens a lot, I feel it, like. It does. And I feel like people who really don't want to be offensive just need to stop there. Yeah. Get rid of the <laughs> I don't want to be offensive. Okay, I'm done. Because if you start your sentence with that, yeah. you're about to say something offensive. <laughs> yeah. And you just really need to rethink what you're going yeah. to say. Yeah. Or I've, I've had other people just be like, <clears throat> or even just they'll be like, I was going to say something really offensive, but I'm not going to. Which, I mean, is better. Yeah, but, yeah. but also, it's like, well, why, why did you even have to bring it up? Now yeah. I'm just curious what were you going to say, you know? Mm-hmm. like, Yeah. I mean, and I think, like I said, more, more broadly speaking, like English really is just how we communicate mm-hmm. with one another. And communication is like essential to life I, I yes. this is like well, as far as I can understand is like it's how you share ideas that's how you try and um, pursue like truth and stuff like that there's yes I mean even just having fun <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's you know there are other ways to communicate besides English you know like you, there's plenty of other languages there's sure. even like you know, like sign language and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Um, so I think there's some really interesting nuances with uh, when you prefer one form of communication over another. Mm-hmm. And there's probably some, like, those nuances are, are important to study. And, mm-hmm. um, but I think at the core, it's really just about communication and stuff. Yeah, definitely. And, and one thing that you said that um, I also think is really interesting is, you know, you talked about communicating truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, I think, another really important reason to study um, English as a, a sort not English the language, but English as a, a field of study. Oh, okay. Um, because, of course, you know, any language that works in. Yeah. But um, thinking about in the United States picking an English major, Mm -hmm. um, a big part of what you're going to be studying is the literature. Mm -hmm. And there is so much in literature that I think can can teach us things and make us think and push us further Mm -hmm. and create empathy um, in ways that that are just so important. Um, I'm dating a scientist right now, and he's awesome, and (laughs) um, it's great. But sometimes I sort of have to smack him because (laughs) he can be a little too literal-minded. Um, and which is weird because he's also an artist. He's a scientific illustrator. Like you'd think his artist huh. side would come out. Um, but yeah, we'll talk about reading sometimes. He's like, yeah, you know, I reading, it feels a little bit like work, which I get, 
because yeah, yeah. you know in academia you're doing a lot of reading as yeah. part of your job it feels a little bit like work so i feel like if i'm gonna do the effort to do that the reason why i don't read novels is i want to read something important but i'm just like, <laughs> like yeah can you say that in a way that does not discredit my entire field <laughs> Um, I mean, I, I get his point that he's sort of not wanting a story. He's wanting, you know, to read about history or read about politics and economics mm. and, and other things that he feels like is going to give him a skill. Yeah. Um, yeah. But when you read literature, you're reading in a way that can teach you about the world and it can mm-hmm. teach you about humans and human interaction. And, um, I mean, poetry is... is if I'm reading for fun, which I totally still think does everything that I just said, um, mm-hmm. I, I will usually read novels. I still read all of the fantasy stuff that I read when I was a kid. That's one of my favorite things to do. Um, but I also really enjoy reading poetry. Hmm. Um, and, and that's primarily what I study. All of my publications have been on poetry. Um, and I think it's so amazing because it uses the language in interesting new ways that can explore some of these ideas and really asks the reader to engage with um, the work and and so that you have to wrestle with it a little bit to understand some of these ideas which I think helps you to understand them better and to think about them with the author um, and it's just so valuable as a way to try on new perspectives and to see new ideas and um, sometimes to process mm-hmm. some of the things that, that you're going through. Um, one of our poets here, well, he's our only poet here, but uh, um, one of uh, my favorite poets <laughs> is our Dr. Brad Maudlin. Um, and uh, during COVID, he was asked to contribute to um, a collection that was going to be poems that, that sort of engage with the, the pandemic mm-hmm. and um, kind of the isolation and, and other um, problems that it uh, created. Um, and he shared that poem with me before it was published. And it just helped me so much thinking about yeah. some of the things that um, I was struggling with. I actually have it taped to my desk right here. And um, one of my favorite lines, um, well, it's not quite a line, but, but a sentence um, says, no, the grief has not forgotten my name, but this morning I tied my shoelaces. Hmm. And just that idea of, you know what, we need to work with these little triumphs hmm. because we're in a time and we're in a place where we can't expect to have the big triumphs and, and everything is hard. And um, if you are beating yourself up over not doing all of the great big things, you're just going to be beating yourself up all the time. But think about those little moments and, and be willing to say, the grief has not forgotten my name. I, I still have yeah. this grief. Yeah. I still am struggling. It still is hard. But I can find these little triumphs in my life. And and those can be something important hmm. that, that I can look at and that can help me through my day. Um, and just... You know, reading that and reading someone else who is feeling that same thing and engaging with it in a way that helped me think through my own um, grief as, as I'm struggling through this process was so incredibly helpful to me. Hmm. And I think that's really the big part of, of what English provides is that sort of understanding and that shared conversation that you can have um, that 
that is pretty amazing. Hmm. Man, there's, yeah, there's a lot there. <laughs> I was trying to think of different routes, but like I, <clears throat> I also took a class with Brad Maudlin, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, it was it was a wonderful class. Um, mm-hmm. I think my favorite. Um, I think he might have shared some of his. My favorite one that we read in that class was, um, I think it might have come with uh, that same collection of like the COVID poems mm, or whatever. Okay. Um, but it was the one about like the, it was something about a, uh, I don't remember if it was a girl walking in the rain or like a guy standing in the rain or something like that. But basically the image in it was there was this guy standing in the rain who had like his child with him or whatever and he had Mm -hmm. to pick up the child to help him like cross the street and stuff and it's kind of told Mm -hmm. from the perspective of someone who's like just there looking at Mm -hmm. this scene that's happening and that image is like the idea is like what that guy is doing right there is like what we need to do for each other basically Mm -hmm. is to you Mm -hmm. know to lift each other up and to walk with one another like through hard times and stuff like that yeah. and you're right it's poetry is such a such a I don't know like such a rich field that like there's so many ideas to to work with and mm-hmm. yeah it was a a really <clears throat> it was a really great class and same with same with literature like just books and stuff um You've got Chronicles of Narnia, like, Chronicles of Narnia isn't, not quite as extreme as, like, you know, Pilgrim's Progress or something, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. it's full of allegory related to, like, yep. Christianity and stuff, and when you're six and you're hearing all these things, maybe <laughs> a lot of those things go over your head, but, yep. like, you as get a little just bit a lion older. when you're six. Yeah, but... yeah, yeah, but then you get older and you're like, oh my, my goodness, like, this happened, like... And then you can connect it to things that, like, you've read and stuff. And mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of, like, other um, <clears throat> other examples that are, like, more common. Like, this is this is a fictional book, but it's actually about <laughs> these other things. Like, a um, totally different spectrum, but, like, Animal Farm mm-hmm. is, like... Mm-hmm. I had, if I had just read that on my own, I'd have been like, this is kind of like a weird <laughs> book. But I had a great teacher in high school yep. um, who had us go through like all this stuff related to like the Russian Revolution and things like that. And mm-hmm. I was like, what? This is, <laughs> what is that happening? Yep. Um, I had something with, uh, I read uh, The Wizard of Oz. Mm-hmm. And I just read it. And I was like, oh, yeah, this, this is all right. This is a good book, you know? Like, yeah, three three out of five stars. I don't know. <laughs> I I would read it. Sure. But fun. then I like didn't realize until like years later. I'm like, this is related to like capitalism and like <laughs> the economy and stuff. And I was like, what? Mm-hmm. I don't remember the exact. It's like a the Emerald City is supposed to be about how there's no real like backing to like the what is it like the the silver or like the gold. I don't remember how it works, but in our economy, like the money used mm-hmm. to have a direct connection to like actual gold yep. or silver, and then the Emerald City doesn't have any of that, and so right. it's like, yep. this is all not gonna work, and all this stuff. But like when you're 
mm-hmm. 12 reading through it. You're not thinking about the economy. You're like, oh, man, there's a there's a scarecrow. Like, you know, like. Yup. But. And, and I think it's interesting, too, sort of, you know, there's a lot of levels of that. Yeah. So Lewis, um, for example, and, and Orwell definitely mm-hmm. are very much thinking of specific figures and this corresponds to this mm-hmm. and this corresponds mm-hmm. to this. And um, so you have that very strong allegory. And I think literature like that is great yeah. um, because it can, you know, just get you to be enjoying the story, but then thinking about those allegorical figures in this mm-hmm. new setting lets you maybe analyze them more fully than you otherwise would. Um, but even stories that aren't a direct allegory, I mm-hmm. think, can really be an interesting reflection of, of culture and teach you some new things. Mm-hmm. Um, N.K. Jemisin is one of my current favorite authors. Okay. Um, I'm going to look that up. Okay. okay. Um, she's, she's actually become a pretty prolific writer recently. She's, she's been publishing a lot, but um, she's a fantasy and science fiction writer. And um, she... Uh, had this one series, the the Broken Earth trilogy, that won um, the Hugo Award, which is the top award in fantasy and science fiction, okay. three years running. So, you know, the first book won it one year, then the second book won it the second year, the Dang. third book won it the third year. Like, that is unheard of, huh. um, especially for an award that um, has, I don't think, ever gone to a black woman before. Um, and... So, yeah, she does some really interesting things with it. I mean, it's a great story. I love the story. Hmm. And she does cool stuff with perspective that I'm not going to tell you what it is because that would be spoilers. Okay. Um, but <laughs> awesome things with perspective. Um, and uh, gorgeous writer. Like, I just love her prose. She has hmm. such an amazing um, use of the language that it's enjoyable to read her sentences. Um, so, you know, just for those reasons, I think they're really great books to read. Um, but they do also, uh, have within the books some, um, tensions of, with race and class. Hmm. And, uh, is there a direct correspondence to, um, you know, modern day America? No, it's not a Mm -hmm. one-to-one correspondence at all. But at the same time, is it inspired by modern America? Absolutely. Hmm. Um, and so looking at it in this new setting and, and, you know, coming to love these characters can then make us go, you know, huh, the, this, we, we can see some of this, these systemic problems in this world because we're introduced to it in a way that, you know, it's so defamiliarized mm-hmm. that um, it's easy to see those problems. Now maybe let's look back at our familiar world and... Hmm. Um, think a little bit more about some of those similarities. And, and so I think that's another really neat thing that, that literature can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even, yeah, exactly. Just the, it's a lot easier to, to read through a, a book, like a novel, and make a lot of those like connections and be like, okay, okay, yeah, like I understand this, this is what they're struggling with in this mm-hmm. book and mm-hmm. all these things. And then to get, done with it and then you see you know something happen in your own personal life and you're like that sounds really familiar i'm like why is yes I'm like it's because i just read about it in mm-hmm. this book like you know it's the same ideas yeah. and stuff. yeah and the empathy it creates because yeah. especially if you're willing to kind of step out of your comfort zone you know if um you're always reading books with main characters that are like you hmm. then all you're learning is how to be like you but yeah. if you read if, if you 
try to move beyond that and, and read books with main characters that are not like you, that are in different positions, that have mm. different struggles, and then you get that struggle from that first-person perspective, or even if it's not first-person, from a very close perspective, um, then you can see that struggle in a whole different way that I think is can make it easier to then look at that person over there and mm-hmm. say, wait a minute, you know, maybe I'm not quite getting you. Maybe I don't mm. understand where you're, or maybe I didn't understand where you're coming from, but yeah. but maybe I can better now. Yeah. Man, there's there's so much to... English... See, this is my problem. Is that English is such a huge, mm-hmm. like, area. It's, like, it's hard to talk about everything in just, like, an hour or something yeah. like that. But I think at some point, I, I talked to... A long time ago, I talked to Dr. Mondlin about mm-hmm. having... Doing one about poetry with him. Oh, you totally should. Yeah, but I, I like... Did it forever ago, and then I never got back to him, and so I'm like, oh. So I need to try to do that again. And then I have a one of my uh, pastors from my church, where Michael, my hometown. Mm-hmm. Um, he studied English in like a college and stuff like that, and he just loves literature and stuff. Mm. So I might talk with him some more about that. So maybe we'll yep. get even more in depth in some of those different areas, which would be super fun. Definitely. Um, one thing I was curious about is just like, um, um, how, just as a, as a, as a people, as English speakers, Mm -hmm. like what's one area that you see that we're like, Hey, like we could, we could do better in this area. Like we're kind of, we're not we're not getting the concept very well. We're kind of struggling to like to be better, more effective communicators because maybe it's like, oh, we don't understand how to use vocabulary well or we mm. our, our sentence structure is, oh, it's, it's awful. But mm-hmm. I was just curious, and maybe you don't have a direct answer to this, but if there's just something that you think we could do better at. Yeah. Um, I I don't know if you'll appreciate my answer or not on this one. Okay. Um, Because, you know, I think a lot of times when people think about English Mm -hmm. and um, think about sort of what it means to study English, Mm -hmm. they they will turn to prescriptive grammar. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, what are the problems that we have? What what do people do poorly? Um, And, you know, I will say in writing, um, mm-hmm. people could do a better job of presenting some of their ideas clearly that mm. um, it will um, uh, people can, as they write, be a little bit too much stream of consciousness and and even when um, writers are not trying to do that, they're, mm-hmm. they're trying to put together a structured argument, um, it can sometimes the ideas can, um, drive the structure of the paper when you really need, or, or, or whatever sort of communication you're writing, when, when you really need the argument to be driving the structure. So mm-hmm. so I guess in that sense, that, that might be sort of a more kind of prescriptive version of mm. um, what, what I think people could do better. But in terms of communication, people actually communicate with each other pretty effectively. Hmm. And I think... Um, the idea that we don't is largely a product of 
prescriptivists saying, you know, we need a better structure of the language in order to hmm. um, communicate more effectively. And, and, and it's tied to that whole, oh, the English language is going downhill. People don't know how to talk anymore um, because they're not following the rules, blah, blah, blah. And um, I think people could do better at listening yeah, that's other. actually what I was going to say. I was curious. Yeah. Okay. Um, but, but yeah, I, I don't think there's anything structurally problematic with most people's speech. Hmm. Um, and even though we do have a proliferation of dialects, so what? Yeah. There's different yeah. ways of communicating. Um, what I think people could do better with is trying to be more respectful with their language. Hmm. Um, so, you know, I'm not... Not to the point of you have to like handcuff yourself because you're not going to say anything that's going to possibly offend anyone because yeah. that's ridiculous. Then you can't communicate because you're not unwilling to say anything. Yeah. Um, but when we think of um, this is actually viewers, listeners, what um, Kurt and I are talking about in class this week mm-hmm. in our history <laughs> of the English language class, and um, we are talking about. Um, different ways that you you can be more polite and respectful in terms of gender neutral language and in terms of um, language that isn't being discriminatory to people of color and to people of different sexualities. Um, And I think trying to really abandon that idea of, you know, come on, just listen to what I'm trying to say and, Hmm. and stop putting so much pressure on me to speak correctly or or speak your way. I think abandoning that attitude and trying to strive more towards a, you know, let's, let's try to work together, Mm -hmm. um, to speak in a way that's going to be respectful to everyone. And, you know, you cannot get mad at me when I, um, say something bad because, I'm not trying to say something bad, but you can correct me, and I can take that correction, hmm. and I can say, you're right, that was offensive, I will try to do better, hmm. um, and and work on that language that, that's going to be respectful so that as a community of communicators, we are really being inclusive of everybody and not, um, whether purposefully or inadvertently, excluding members of the community because of the way that we speak. Hmm. I mean, yeah, you said you said I might not appreciate it, but honestly, that's <laughs> probably what I would have said for everything. Those okay. those three things that you pointed out, like the I see those pretty clearly. I see um, in terms of writing, yes, I I mean, this is just me personally, but I'm like, I wish you like for some people who they just struggle to communicate through writing. Mm-hmm. I'm like. I want to help you communicate better because you have great ideas. Mm -hmm. Like you, Mm -hmm. you're a person. I want to help you like communicate like how you see things because I love hearing your perspective on things. So yes, in terms of writing, I like, I get that. And then, yeah, I don't, because you're right, people communicate on a whole broad spectrum. There's different dialects and stuff like you said, like, yeah, just being better listeners is, is a great tool to have. Um, but then, yeah, just being more respectful. And I, I liked what you said about like, uh, not being like handcuffed or whatever. Cause mm. I think there is a certain point where 
um, you can be so worried about being offensive by like a by a, like a social standard or whatever that you can't actually communicate your own ideas or your own beliefs because mm-hmm. it's like well I don't want to say anything because they'll say I'm I'm wrong or something mm-hmm. and it is hard if you're in that spot to feel like yeah like oh, what do I do because I don't necessarily agree with everything you're saying, but I like want to engage in a conversation with you and explain mm-hmm. why I disagree, you know, and it can be it can be challenging. But I think in general, if yeah, if the person is just mad at you, then they're not really going to want to listen to what anything else you're going to say. So yeah. I would. Yeah, I would agree. I think all three of those are great areas to, to just grow in as people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Did you have any more thoughts related to that specifically or? No. Okay. No. That's fine. I just wanted to give you the opportunity. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, I think it might be getting time for both of us to go on to our next event. Yes. That's exactly what I was thinking. Um, yeah. I got, do you have, do you have time for one fun question? Sure. Okay. <clears throat> if you could make any change to English, you can add you can add a word, you can change spelling, you can do anything. What oh would you do? goodness, that's a, that's a tough question. I also have the easy, fun question. If you want that <laughs> one instead, I mean, I would love to say let's just get rid of all the spelling standards because I can't spell and <laughs> I'm constantly making mistakes when I write things on the board, which yep. makes me feel like an idiot because I'm like, yes, I'm your English teacher and yes, I have, a, you know, I know what I'm talking about, but here I can't spell, you know, yeah, yeah, important yeah. on the chalkboard. Um, but as, as much as it would benefit me, I think that would ultimately lead to mass confusion that would, would probably not be good. Okay. So, so here, my answer can be that we had this word. Okay. In Old English, that was it meant the period just before dawn. So it's not dawn. It's not like when things are are light and bright and gorgeous. Okay. But it's not night. So we're not like pure black anymore. It's okay. like just that moment when you're starting to lighten up a little bit, and it's sort okay. of like this brightening in the darkness, but the darkness is still there and. It's sort of this important moment of the day that, hmm. that we no longer have a word for. Okay. And, and I think it's sad that we don't have a way to specify that moment, hmm. even though I'm happiest when I'm sleeping through it. But <laughs> I would imagine that, you know, there are times when it would be great to, to think about or, or enjoy mm-hmm. that, that brief moment. So, so there you go. I wish okay. we had that word again. What is it in... Old, is it Old Norse? It's in Old English, and old I actually English. don't remember. You don't remember what it is? Okay. Which is well. really a pity. <laughs> Clearly, I need to learn yeah. it so that I can... Yeah, maybe we'll just use it. the Old English word for it. We'll just bring it there, back. There we go. Time. Yeah. I wish um, there were more opportunities to... Well, actually, I don't wish this because that would be bad, but I was going to say I wish there were more opportunities to use the word defenestration. Yeah. <laughs> But, that is a great word. I love that word. But also, I don't wish that there were more opportunities. <laughs> yeah, if so. we all went around defenestrating things, uh, it would be problematic. <laughs> there you go, audience. That's your challenge for the day is go look up what that word means if you don't already know. Um, yeah, thank you so much for uh, doing this with me. And yes, we do need to get rolling. Um, 
I'm sure you have lots of important chairperson things to do. So well, it's new student enrollment or uh, or transfer day, so I have to go help a transfer oh, student enroll for their there classes. There you go. So. so yeah, I can let you get rolling. Thank you so much because again, I know your time was valuable, and you just spent uh, looks like an hour and ten minutes <laughs> talking about English. So. Well, I was happy go. to do it. I, I appreciated all of your good questions and, mm-hmm. and being willing to have a conversation with me about it because yeah. obviously it's something that I'm pretty passionate about. Yeah, I, that's why I asked because I knew that you would enjoy it. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, I guess I'll, I'll see you in class in like an hour. <laughs> all right, sounds good. All right. That's going to do it for today's episode. Again, thank you so much for listening. Um, If you like the show, please leave a rating or review. um, Share it with your friends. Um, We've actually grown not a lot, uh, but a little bit this year. And that's really encouraging to me. Um, Yeah, it's just been super fun to, to know that more and more people are listening to the show and Hopefully that'll connect me to even more people and we'll be able to have like a, an even greater variety of discussions uh, on audio stew. And so, yeah, I think that'd be super cool. That's all I really got to say. Um, yeah, I'm just grateful for Dr. Hartman for coming on the show and I know she's got a really busy schedule. So that was really cool of her and it was fun. <laughs> so there's only going to be one more regular um episode this year that'll be also a special right at the end of the year um i think initially i'd said there are probably two more but i think just with the release schedule um one of those episodes i'll probably record for for next season which i am super pumped about i just made an intro the other day um i'll maybe put it at the end of an episode um not this one but maybe down the road just as a little sneak peek for people who are interested Anyway, that's all I've really got, so I'll catch you guys later. Have an amazing day, and um, go Lopes. Godspeed. Go henceforth. Go into all nations. Make disciples. Of all people, um, I'm trying to think of any other like callings to to go forth. Um, go make yourself a sandwich. Okay, I need to be done because. Okay, bye. And in case you weren't certain from the previous three times I said it, but uh, that really is all I got. But of course, Aiden is going to keep listening and see if anything else pops up here at the end. Your shoe's untied, bud. Just thought you should know that. Okay, bye for real.